0: Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers, and hello again in case you missed that first bit, and welcome to issue 4029 of The Bugle, the officially sanctioned historical record of Phase 76 of the history of the universe. I am Andy Zaltzman, live in London, also in London, albeit a slightly different part of London, uh, two metres away uh, across a desk. It's the Susie Quattro of satirical comedy, (laughs) Nish Kumar. (laughs) <laughs> Big intro! <laughs> Big intro! Well, I see you and Quattro as, you know. Oh, peas in a pod, Andy. Pees Absolutely peas in a pod, yep. me and the quat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> me and the Kumquat. In fact, Kumquat is the name of my double act with Susie Quattro. <laughs>
0: really? That conjures up a whole load of extremely disturbing images. <laughs> How, how have you been? It's been a couple of months since, Yeah, it's been uh,
1: a while Andy, yeah How have you been?
0: I've been You've I've, been on your travels I've been You've hemisphering come it up You've crawling back Crawling back, yeah This is my third hemisphere of the last month Southern, uh, northern and uh, east, eastern <laughs> <laughs> which, which side of Greenwich are we? Western
1: um, <laughs> um, How was Australia? They, they like cricket over there They do like cricket yep. They like cricket and white people They like cr- cricket And, and <laughs> you're bringing both <bugs. laughs> That's right,
0: yeah Uh, They like cricket and keeping people unnecessarily on small (laughs) islands. (laughs) What have you been Have you been any any more globe-trotting? Have you been been hanging out here just soaking up the election glory? I've
1: been to a little place called Croydon a couple of times, Andy. (laughs) Sweet. I made a glorious return to the football pitch this Tuesday. Massive stuff, Andy. Right. I I would describe my performance as sporadically effective. (laughs) Coming in off the left, playmaking force. You know they don't just call me re-admirers because they're being lazily racist <laughs> let me rephrase that they do call me Riyad Mahrez because they're being lazily racist right. I uh, forced a penalty right. with a spectacular chip from 30 yards that was handled by one of the centre backs right. who uh, later claimed that he was in goal <laughs> uh, which led to a slightly contentious moment with the referee i.e. a collective decision made by all of the players uh, communists. stepped up missed it then Shocking. five minutes later forced another handball <laughs> Um, and uh, stepped up, sent the keeper the wrong way, slash the keeper tripped over, and I kicked it the other
0: way, depending on who you talk to. (laughs) Sporadically effective is what we want on this show. (laughs) we can maintain that form. This is Bugle 4029. 4029, incidentally, the average estimated time in nanoseconds between Donald Trump opening his mouth and someone somewhere in the world saying, oh, what now? (laughs) Also, the number of people on average it takes to change a light bulb. If you include everyone involved in the manufacture, transportation, and retail of the light bulb, including the mining and creation of all the constituent <laughs> parts of the light bulb, as well as the one or more people required to actually insert <laughs> the light bulb at the bulb interface. Uh, this is the bugle for the week beginning Monday, the 22nd of May. On the uh, 23rd of May, a couple of sensational anniversaries to mark this week. On the 23rd of May, 1533, the marriage of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon was declared null and void. Ouchie. The Pools panel verdict was no score draw. Um, uh, One of the biggest breakups in romance history. They didn't just have to split up their music collection, which of course was trickier in the uh, early 16th century. Yeah, absolutely. Who takes the lute player and who takes the (laughs) lute? Well, exactly. exactly. You can't both have Brian. Um, Henry VIII was in favour of chopping the lute player in half. (laughs) Although his half of a person generally just around the neckline. Yeah. And also very hard to play a half clavichord once you've karate chopped it to pieces. (laughs) Um, But they also had to split an entire religion. They split Christianity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is rather trickier than uh, a load of CDs. Uh, So, yeah, that causes uh, ructions that reverberate to this day, the old split of the Catholic Church and the Church of England. They'd been married almost 24 years before the split. And Henry packed another five wives into the last 13 and a half years of his life that some dude loved getting married serious speed wifing from the big lad and um, I imagine by the last wedding his toast had <laughs> lost some of its enthusiasm <laughs> for better or worse but let's face it for worse <laughs> the uh, Catherine of Aragon breakup took 8 years from uh, 1525 to 1533 basically from when he first started getting the hots for Miss Berlin and, uh, and he got quicker at that he got quicker at ending his relationships <laughs> <laughs> kind of 21st century Tinder style although he tended to swipe downwards rather than sideways. <laughs> On the 23rd of May, 1618, <laughs> the second defenestration of Prague, precipitating the 30 Years' War. Wars had some proper length in those days. Life was life was slower in those days. Yeah, your yeah. 100 Years' War, your 30 Years' War. People took their time, their sweet it's time. It's like test cricket. <laughs> yeah. You've got to allow narratives to form. Exactly. We can't have any of these 2020
1: wars we're having these days. <laughs> um, have you uh, Have you ever defenestrated anyone? Uh, if I have, then I've done it unwittingly and would
0: like to apologise. <laughs> It was, yeah, the first defenestration of Prague in 1419. This is the second one on the 23rd of May, 1618. Three men lobbed out of a window 20 metres above the ground in a protest about Catholic suppression of the uh, Protestants. They survived, these three, 20 metres off the ground, they survived the fall, depending uh, on, well, it depends on who or what you believe. The reason for their survival was either divine intervention or landing in a massive and quite literal pile of shit. (laughs) Or possibly both. Is we- that
1: true? Did they land in a huge pile of shit? Well, that's,
0: that's either they were saved by the almighty lords or they landed in a massive pile of dung that happens to be on the, <laughs> the ground outside the window.
1: He moves in mysterious ways, <laughs> well, he does- Andy. He saw those people falling and he was like, get me some dried fruit. Stats! <laughs> get me some dried fruit and a black coffee. What I've did- got believers to save.
0: <laughs> there must have been some slightly awkward conversations with the almighty afterwards, you know, with the survived men. Uh, God, thanks and all that, but... Uh, Next time we are going to save us from plummeting to our deaths, any chance that... And, and look, I'm not, look, I'm not telling you how to do your job, <laughs> but if there is an alternative to the massive pile of shit as a means of breaking the fall, I mean, uh, it would just be... A pre- look, I'm delighted to be alive, don't get me wrong, but how about a f***ing trampoline, right? <laughs> Or a bouncy castle? Or even a pile of f***ing cardboard, as I said, thanks.
1: God, children's birthday parties... <laughs> would have been very different <laughs> in those days if that was the bouncy castle option. Sure. Happy 8th, Alan!
0: Here's a huge pile of shit. Simpler times, Nish. Yeah. People would have been happy with it. rubber to take off your shoes first. Uh, defenestration, I believe, is, uh, is sadly an underused form of political protest these days. Yes, yeah. I mean, in a truly free and open democracy, there should be an official window Above a government maintained pile of dung <laughs> where you should be able to shove your elected representatives whenever you like. Until then, our democracy is a sham.
1: Well it's e-defenestration now, isn't it? Everything's electronic. So yeah. you have to
0: throw people,
1: I guess, out of using Microsoft Windows.
0: <laughs> I guess that's I very the... much like what you've done
1: then, <laughs> Oh god. I think I've caught your your punning punning. There's a pun later on but I've got planned. Oh, oh right strapping everyone.
0: <laughs> There's been an increasing incidence of this, of the, uh, the guest co-hosts yeah. bringing their own puns. Yeah, don't think I didn't hear right. that. Don't think I haven't listened to
1: those, Andy. Yeah. It's contagious. It's like bringing your own tennis videos to Roger
0: Federer's house. <laughs> um, you are the Federer of puns. <laughs> No, I didn't really mean it in that way. I just meant I've got a lot of puns. Oh right, sure. <laughs> um It definitely came across like that. Well, but, you know. Unless Roger Federer is also famed for his massive
1: collection of tennis videos.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is. But he must have I reckon he's gotta keep videos of him of his own matches. I mean maybe not reckon? actual videos these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Federer still loves a match. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh who was, was that was uh Joy Division song. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> As always, the section is going straight in the bin. And this week, to commemorate another anniversary, as we record tomorrow, the twentieth of May, eighteen seventy-five, was the signing of the Meter Convention by seventeen nations, leading to uh, eventually to the establishment of the international system of units. They standardised the meter, and our section in the bin this week is looking at now obsolete former units of measurement, including uh, units of length such as the worm, (laughs) which proved too variable, uh, dependent on such things as worm diet and worm childhood squiggliness of worm. And whether the worm was or wasn't busy having sex with itself, (laughs) uh, pretty much depending on how hot your worm was. Another distance that's sadly gone out of use is the flob royal, which is the distance the 12th century French king Louis VI, also known as Louis the Fat, could spit from a seated position (laughs) on his throne. Now, this was reset every year on January the 1st. He did a New Year's flob, and it varied considerably depending on all kinds of factors, especially if the windows were open and how much he'd eaten over Christmas. Another uh, sadly obsolete uh, unit of length, uh, the Schweinfleisch Gewürzt briefly used German measurement tied to the length of the standard hot dog sausage. <laughs> The problem arose arises with this uh, when an outbreak of the incurable pig shrink virus resulted in the sausage being reduced in length by an average of 40%, causing total mayhem in the German tailoring industry, particularly with trousers. Uh, <laughs> so when people ordered their standard leg length in Schweinfleisch meters, uh, they came back because of the, they're only now 60% as long as they used to be, reaching just below the knee camp, hence uh, the invention of the lederhosen. <laughs> and lederhosen, of course, literally means lighter hogs. Uh, uh, area, units of area, the cat swing. Oh, there's more. There's more. <laughs> there's more. The cat swing. Uh, that was enough room to... That's where the, the, the phrase, enough room sure, to swing Sure, enough room cat. to swing a cat, yeah. Uh, calculated by the mathematical formula, two pi brackets cat plus arm. <laughs> <laughs> came to Britain with the Normans in the 11th century, of course. Of course. They loved swinging cats at the Normans. And they measured people's properties for the Doomsday Book using cat's wings. As a, and the average house size then was just 2.4 CS. But then property was taxed for centuries by the cat's wing. And uh, hence, eventually, the British aristocracy thought, f*** it, we need to find some bigger cats. Hence the empire. And all those tiger skin rugs. I've uh, never seen a man look more pleased with himself. Well, um, I've had a long week. i out on tour and it's, this was... This was a that was a that was a three thirty a.m. joke. <laughs> uh, units of luminosity: the Joan of Arc, the fairly self-explanatory, a <laughs> yeah, fair British enough. one. Uh, speed: the uh, <laughs> papato picante, the hobbling pope. That is, uh, and it used to be illegal in sixteenth-century Europe to move faster than a hobbling pope. Right, and this dates back to when uh, Pope Julius II broke his toe kicking a bin on the way out of the Sistine Chapel <laughs> after seeing for the first time what Michelangelo had done to his ceiling, <laughs> while shouting <laughs> "Quale parte di cani giocanti snuca non capisci." Translated as, what part of dogs playing snooker did you not understand? <laughs> and a unit of silence. I mean, if you, you can measure silence, uh, that's the uh, ZDEG unit. The Zoltzman debut Edinburgh gig. <laughs> <laughs> not the worst gig I've had. The very first proper gig I did outside a student venue in, in, in Oxford. And still the purest silence I've ever experienced. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, uh,
1: Kumar's had a couple of Z-Degs this week. <laughs> Good Lord. I think I mentioned uh, I did one two days ago that measured on the Richter scale
0: of Z-Degs. <laughs> anyway, that section, or uh, well, the rest of it, in the bin.
1: Top story this week: Electile dysfunction. Very good. Very good. There you go. I learned from the best.
0: That's a Billy Bragg album, I think. It It is a Billy Bragg album. (laughs) Uh,
1: And it's election season in the UK. Uh, Theresa May has called a a snap election. And the phrase snap election is definitely the most fun thing about the whole election. (laughs) Uh, It is going to be a uh, sobering few weeks uh, for this country as the British public faces a choice of a person they don't really trust and a person they don't really like. <laughs> it, it, we are not so much stuck between a rock and a hard place as we are stuck between a rock that we think may have sympathised with the IRA <laughs> and a hard place that may be trying to kill old people.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, the election no-one wanted, called for reasons <laughs> no-one particularly wants to think about, with the results seemingly so foregone conclusionized conclusionised, <laughs> is that a technical term, uh, that Theresa May could spend... The next three weeks in a cryogenic freezer without it affecting the result. If anything, in fact, her poll ratings might actually go slightly up as it would make her seem a little bit warmer than she generally does. bird <laughs> and, and, and on you, boom, mate! Take that! <laughs> this week, it's been manifesto week. When I mean, they don't really put the manifest into manifesto. <laughs> Obfusgesto, perhaps, would be maybe a slightly more appropriate... All the parties basically been accused of turning back time to various degrees. Labour's been accused of wanting to take us back to the 1970s. The Liberal Democrats quite openly want us to take take us back to the 22nd of June 2016, (laughs) the day before we voted for whatever the fuck Brexit turns out to be. The Conservatives essentially seem to want to take us back to the late 16th century, (laughs) when we had an all powerful female monarch and no one else was allowed to say anything. I got, I got their election leaflet through my letterbox, and it, it had the word strong and stable leadership. I mean, it was like Bart Simpson at the start of, the, <laughs> <laughs> at the start of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all over the front page, and then pictures of just no one but Theresa May. We yeah. should
1: establish for non-British buglers, because people in Britain are so sick of hearing that phrase now, strong and stable is very much the catchphrase of this election campaign. It's very much the eat my shorts for the post 9-11 era. It's uh, it's strong and stable leadership. That's the message that Theresa May is trying to ram home by literally saying it at every conceivable opportunity. It's numbing the effect of it. Strong and stable leadership. Strong and stable leadership. All good work and no play makes Theresa a dull boy. All good work and no play makes Theresa a dull boy.
0: <laughs> and uh, UKIP want to uh, seemingly take Britain back to about 5 billion BC <laughs> before the purity of this nation was sullied by the evil evolution of life. <laughs> UKIP is
1: still disputing the outcome of the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> just set, it up. set it up to the TV umpire. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. That arrow was fired from an offside position. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, there was a, an extraordinary spectacle this week because the leadership debates are no more. We yeah. tried it for a bit. And now we've decided that we've had enough of seeing our political leaders actually debate with each other. Um, so yesterday, uh, viewers on ITV were treated to a uh, debate between all the leaders of the major parties except Labour and the Conservative <laughs> Party. Because Theresa May said that she wouldn't appear and Jeremy Corbyn said, well, if she's not doing it, I'm not doing it, in one of the classically more infantile responses in British politics. Right.
0: I think I was out of the country when, when she decided not to take part. That's right.
1: I- the kind of party line is that... the people don't want to see politicians squabbling, to which your answer is, they don't call a f***ing election.
0: (laughs) Another explanation I've heard is that they just couldn't find an extension cable long enough so that they could plug her in. I've I've watched Westworld, and I know you don't want a robot running out of batteries halfway through doing something.
1: Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be ideal for the TV viewers if Theresa May (laughs) has a fly land on her eyeball (laughs) and doesn't flinch. So the uh, leadership debate happened without... Jeremy Corbyn or Theresa May who again for non-British buglers are the only two people who mathematically can possibly win this election and I was searching for an appropriate analogy and unfortunately for me the only one that came to mind is that this debate would be a bit like if we had a debate to establish your best bugle co-host and then didn't invite John look we know who you're all gonna vote for but if you couldn't vote for him who would you vote for it's like taking a having a political debate in a parallel dimension
0: Uh, As a result of which, the TV audience was around about eight, I think. (laughs) Uh,
1: The coverage of the uh, election so far has been uh, very positive for Theresa May. Um, The Daily Mail led with a front page uh, that said, Alast, a PM not afraid to be honest with you. Uh, Now, this may have something to do with the fact that the Daily Mail maybe just believes Theresa May's political positions are the right direction for this country to go in. It may have something to do with the fact that James Slack is the former political editor of the Daily Mail who is currently Theresa May's official spokesperson. (laughs) But I cannot wrap my head around this idea that she is somehow honest. Bear in mind that this is a Prime Minister who repeatedly stated she would not call a general election this year, who has subsequently called a general election and who supported the Remain campaign in the EU referendum and is now pursuing a Brexit so hard that it's likely to force Pret a to change its name to food in it
0: <laughs> uh, the uh conservative um manifesto had uh well i mean there's some interesting things in sure um, it was uh it was a spicy affair uh, uh some i mean one one odd thing was this place to clamp down on electoral fraud yeah the electoral fraud that has been such a problem in this country that no-one has noticed it <laughs> yeah. happening I
1: think or it was given some, a shit about it. I think it. it was something like 21 complaints. Yes, it's like, microscopic. My, my last Edinburgh run generated more
0: complaints <laughs> than that. <laughs> um, unless it means the kind of electoral fraud that leads to Labour and the Conservatives getting massively overrepresented in Parliament due to our first-past-the-post <laughs> system. The kind of results that would cost hundreds of millions... Of pounds, dollars, whatever, of bribes and backhanders in other countries, you get it for free over here <laughs> by just by using some quirky eighteenth century mathematics. <laughs> Um, Or the electoral fraud that that fills our second chamber with 800 representatives who have received a collective total of zero votes. That that also looks dodgy.
1: Look, Andy, remember the old British political saying, it's not corruption if the person doing it is a rich old white man. (laughs) I believe that's written in Latin on the Houses of
0: Parliament. I I mean, it is true that the checks for ID at polling stations are not the most rigorous in world... You can basically turn up. You find someone sitting there with a printed electoral roll with everyone's name and address on. You could basically go up and say, I am Brigadier Lord Minky Hound Gravel Shit and I demand my ballot paper now. (laughs) What's your address, please? It's 49 Billion Testicle Street. (laughs) I I don't know that street. Uh, It's on the new housing development. Look, I'm just here on the list. Just cross that name out and give me a paper.
1: I'm not sure I've ever turned up with my polling card. And, you know, you just sort of say your name and they let you in. I think I might try this year to say, my name is Jennifer Aniston (laughs) and my address is the flat above Central Perk. (laughs) See how far that gets me. So the manifesto itself, there's a couple of key issues that they're trying to push. One is obviously immigration, which is just... Constantly been the two conversations we have are about immigration and how we need less of it, and the other conversation that we have is how we never talk about immigration. <laughs> That's pretty much our national <laughs> political discourse summed up in a brief soundbite. Right, uh, the Conservatives are pledging to reduce net migration to below a hundred thousand per year. Uh, but interestingly, uh, this is something that uh, has been sort of mooted. Uh, around Brexit, Uh, but interestingly, Michael Fallon, uh, who's the Defence Secretary, was interviewed about this on Newsnight and he refused to call it a policy. He instead referred to it as an ambition. (laughs) That's where we are now, Andy. The Conservative manifesto is essentially a wish list, which (laughs) at this point you've got to treat like New Year's resolutions. We all know that they're going to be broken within a month, but it's tradition, (laughs) goddammit.
0: Fundamentally, manifestos are not so much promises or pledges as the kind of stuff that you put on an online dating profile <laughs> <laughs> just to just to get that's, things moving
1: that's exactly and then you hope
0: you suck people into a long-term relationship and then it becomes too much hassle to complain about the lies that began it
1: yeah exactly and judging am i by sharing too much <laughs> <laughs> judging by their uh, manifesto the conservatives are swiping far right <laughs>
0: The Labour manifesto um, had a promise to uh, not raise taxes for the lowest 95% earners and only to raise taxes on the top 5%. It was variously interpreted as Labour wanting to tax the top 5% of earners a bit more, uh, Labour wanting to tax everyone a bit more, and Jeremy Corbyn wanting to establish gulags in Cornwall and force everyone to work on collective farms. (laughs) What's that? A one-way ticket to Siberia Parkway? Sure thing, comrade. Hop on. Vote for me. It very much depended which newspaper you read. Uh, obviously, the sums don't add up. That's fine. Sums never add up. Uh, sure. Any half-decent mathematician will tell you that. Um, that's, yeah, any half-decent or you know 45%... <laughs> um, there is about as much chance of Labour winning this election as there was of Britain voting to leave the EU and Leicester City Football Club winning the Premier League <laughs> and... America voting for a regurgitated carrot chunk from the bowels of Beelzebub as its president (laughs) in the same year. And only two of those things happens, of course. Obviously, uh, Donald Trump is not actually a regurgitated carrot chunk from the bowels of Beelzebub. Uh, Metaphorically, that's a different matter, but not literally.
1: (laughs) Yeah, some of the press coverage of uh, old uh, Jezza Corbs, as you've alluded to, has not been uh, particularly favourable. The Evening Standard, uh, which is a circular paper that runs in London, uh, led with the headline, Comrade Corbyn flies the red flag, which is really beyond parody Like (laughs) at this point in terms of alarmism. Uh, It also, uh, what adds spice to it is the editor of the Evening Standard is one George Osborne, Former Chancellor and Conservative <laughs> Minister. <laughs> At this point, the relationship between our political establishment and the press is seedier than Jeremy Corbyn's window pot. <laughs> the interesting thing is, I know we've been talking a lot about how Labour have almost no chance of winning. They have had a pretty good week in the polls. Now, obviously, we know from everything that's happened in the last eighteen months that you can't trust polling.
0: No, but, and also that is a bit like Captain Scott having had a good work, a good day on the way back from the <laughs> South Pole, isn't it? Still, gotta, where's he gonna it going to
1: win? But there is this sense of uh, a sort of resurgence off the back of uh, the manifesto. I don't know whether this is because. It does seem like, in terms of what we know about what the British public wants, in terms of access to free healthcare and investment in education, that a lot of Labour's policies currently chime with a huge amount of what the nation thinks. Or whether it's because Jeremy Corbyn has lowered expectations to such an extent (laughs) that the fact that the manifesto was largely written in complete sentences, everyone's like, wow, done, Jeremy. (laughs) And then he pulled a slightly gangster move this week. I don't know whether you... Did you watch... Teresa may be interviewed by Robert Peston. Uh, I didn't see that. No, she was being interviewed by Robert Peston on the ITV News, and they had this feature on it where everyone could ask questions via Facebook Live because everything is terrible. And he, they opened it up to everyone to sort of weigh in. And Robert Peston was looking at the list, and he uh, said, "An hour, uh, we've got a we've got a question coming from Jeremy Corbyn in Islington. <laughs>
0: Corbyn asked a fucking question." Via Facebook Live of Theresa May. Right. In what way is had a gangster move? Do, <laughs> do, do gangsters now perform most of their transactions via Facebook? Is this am I out of the loop? Yeah. Okay. Well. That's how it works. You're much. You're, you're much closer to these. Uh, I've these... got much closer to the street. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, he asked her a question about how she, uh, why she wouldn't, uh, why she wouldn't debate him, and it is starting to look bad because. As we've all established, the country does not seem to trust Jeremy Corbyn for whatever reason, in spite of the fact that his policies are polling pretty well. But I think it is starting to dawn on people that if Corbyn is that bad and May is still scared of him, how shit must she be?
0: <laughs> like, how bad must she be if she's worried about being seen on the same platform as him? Uh, another Labour policy is to renationalise the railways. Sure. Which is another thing that divides opinion. In this this country. Yeah, largely
1: between people who use the railways and people who don't use the railways.
0: <laughs> I mean, the railways have their glitches currently as my late appearance to <laughs> this podcast. I don't know. If you could just cut out the silent 15 minutes before I turn up. It wasn't silent, mate. I was doing some classic <laughs> top-level riffing. Definitely cut that out. <laughs> um, Renationalising the railways, is it going to make things better? Yes. No, but, but at least <laughs> yeah, when yeah. your train doesn't turn up. Or is so full that you've got to sit on someone else's shoulders who's taken a dump in the toilet. (laughs) At least you know that the state is losing money rather than some businessman somewhere making a f***ing mint on it. (laughs) Well, exactly. We actually spent uh, as much money...
1: Uh, subsidising our railways, I think between the years of 1996 and 2010, as France did on its entire nationalised railway service. And French tickets, uh, on average, are considerably cheaper than uh, than our tickets. And when you think about privatising the railways, when you reflect on it, it does seem like a nonsense thing to do. Because the whole point about privatisation is that it's supposed to provide competition, but you can't have competition. Like, there's only one track. Like, you can't race the trains. <laughs> so what we've done is, instead of having one big monopoly, we've got a string of big monopolies that have no... Like, the only way for you to compete is if you're trained to Bristolish shit, is to go, well, I'm going to Scotland. <laughs> That'll teach you, Bristol train company.
0: Uh, well, much more to talk about with regard to the election, including the Conservatives' very high-profile Reform of social care, which is, um, I think, making people quite afraid of the concepts of death. Yeah. Uh, but we will talk about this in a couple of weeks at the, the Live Bugle at the Soho Theatre. That is now sold out due to, A, colossal public demand and millions of people <laughs> wanting to see it, and, B, it being held in quite a small room. Uh, but there is another Live Bugle at the uh, Underbelly on the 13th of July, also featuring Nish and Helen Zaltzman, my sibling. Time to move on to Across the Atlantic, and the trumpet section. Is trump going to happen? Are we going to see James Comey and the giant impeach? Um, could Comey take down the comb-over? Could the FBI bring the end of the FBI? And obviously we know what the F stands for. The The B can be whatever you want and the I is probably idiot. But I'm sure there's alternatives for it. These are such weird times. There's no
1: way that Trump doesn't own one of those T-shirts that says FBI (laughs) and where it stands for female body inspector. There is no, there is simply no way.
0: If he doesn't own one, it's only because he doesn't know they exist. I mean, we we need to look for the positives when it comes to that. I mean, Trump has not brought, he's not brought an excess of dignity to the office (laughs) of president.
1: That is probably the most polite (laughs)
0: summation of Donald
1: Trump's period as president of the United States. On the
0: positive side, it used to be if you're walking along the street and you trod in a massive pile of dog shit. Sure. That was quite an annoying part of your day. Yeah. Now, if it happens, you look down at your shoe and you think, that's amazing. My shoe has more dignity than the leader of the free world. (laughs) So it's turned negatives into positives. He's got to take a lot of credit for that. Yeah, the, there's been uh, more developments
1: in the, uh, the Trump-Russia uh, scandal uh, this week. It, at this point, it's so hard to, just to keep pace with what's going on because it seems like every single day an accusation is made, it's then refuted by the White House spokespeople, and then the next day Trump says something that forces the whole accusation to be reopened <laughs> again. But they have now appointed a special counselor, I believe is the title.
0: Uh, which is just news breaking, actually. He's already been fired. And Donald Trump has instead now appointed a new FBI director to head up the investigation into links between Trump, uh, the Trump campaign and Russia. Uh, this will be led now by Mickey the Magic Sock. Um, <laughs> holding up his hand with a sock puppet on it, uh, Donald Trump said, Mickey the Magic Sock is completely impartial. He's what this country voted for. By the way, Ivanka designed the sock. $30 for three pairs. <laughs> Amazing socks.
1: Robert Mueller, who's uh, the former head of the FBI, uh, is now the special counsel uh, for the Russia investigation. And at the moment, the questions that he needs to establish are whether there was any Russian interference into the election. And one of the other key things that needs to be established is, was James Comey, the former director of the FBI, fired? because he was investigating the uh, Russian scandal. And there's been a a sort of alarming development in the middle of all of this, uh, because we're finding out more and more about Comey's slightly fractious relationship uh, with Donald Trump uh, in the lead up to his dismissal. And uh, it was so fractious that James Comey once tried to avoid Donald Trump by attempting to blend into the White House curtains to avoid (laughs) being noticed.
0: Well, this is. There is some proper cartoon hiding going on. Because didn't uh, Sean Spicer hidden in a Sean Spicer was hiding week? in the
1: bushes, yeah. But th- this is even more extraordinary. I oh, will see a picture of it. The New York Times has reported that Mr. Comey, who is six foot eight inches tall and was wearing a dark blue suit that day, t- said that he tried to blend in with the blue curtains in the back of the room in the hopes that Mr. Trump would not spot him and call him out. Now, Andy, I'm showing you a picture of that. Would you say that James Comey is wearing a considerably different shade of blue on his suit than the curtains? Yes, and
0: it's not, it's not super camouflage, is it? It's like it's a three-year-old playing hide-and-seek. Yes, but he's what? He's one of America's top spies, I said. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? That's reassuring. <laughs> no wonder they've spent ages trying to find Bin Laden. They're all busy
1: disguising themselves as sofas. <laughs> Uh, the strategy didn't work uh, because uh, Trump saw Comey, called to him by name and then apparently blew him a kiss, <laughs> which I guess is a little bit like Michael and Fredo in The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at this point, it's getting so partial that when the inevitable reboot of all the president's men for the Trump era is made. They will not need to call Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman in. They simply just need to get Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and turn the whole thing into a slapstick comedy. It seems to be taking its toll on the Trumpmeister general for the first time because at a commencement address this week, he claimed that no politician in history has been treated worse or more unfairly. Now, I mean forgetting the raft of assassinations and imprisonments that various politicians across the world have endured. His immediate predecessor was subject to constant accusations that he had not been born in America because he was black. (laughs) And Donald Trump should have known about that because those constant accusations were made by him. Um, And in Trump's, uh, Trump's close personal friends news... Uh, Nigel Farage, who is Trump's sort of sassy British sidekick, uh, said that he will pick up a rifle and car keys if Brexit is not yeah. properly executed.
0: Car keys as in K H A K I S rather than his car keys. His car
1: keys. He's just going to go for a drive
0: yeah. and calm down. <laughs> now, uh, the yeah, his exact that- quote was if they don't deliver this Brexit that I spent 25 years of my life working for, I don't recall the ballot paper saying. Do you want to vote for Nigel Tyrone's <laughs> I'll be forced to Don Carkey, which was his mafia name, I believe, in his uh, days in, in Sicily, uh, pick up a rifle and head for the front lines. Yeah. He did defend himself by saying it was a metaphor. Um, yeah. Get a life to someone who'd complained about it. But it does make you think... Exactly what front lines is he talking about? Well,
1: the thing is, if the battle happens in London, car keys are not going to be very good for camouflage.
0: That's very true. He should probably disguise himself
1: as a building or a Russian oligarch shopping for a flat (laughs) or a football club.
0: (laughs) He's pretty much dressed as that most of the time. (laughs) But also, if, if, and it's a big if, Britain does descend into civil war. Yeah. It's much like to be more of an amorphous guerrilla-style combat without ge- defined geographical front lines. <laughs>
1: yeah, and also... So,
0: where, where's he going, Nish? Well, is also- he going to the Syrian front line? <laughs> Again, khaki, probably not advisable. You want to go with more kind of desert combats there. And also, whose side is it? Presumably, he will be on both sides attacking the innocent people in the middle of the Syrian crisis, the worst and most dangerous of all people in the Syrian struggle, the potential refugees. <laughs>
1: Also, regardless, of if I ever found myself in a war, I'm not sure an ex-stockbroker who seemingly spent the last 20 years downing five pints a day as his five a day is going to be a particularly useful soldier. Like, that man is gout with arms and legs. (laughs) But it's just what a week for Trump and his best mate Farage. At this point, Farage and Trump are to unimaginable stupidity. What Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal were to playing tennis.
0: <laughs> Art news now and big money transfer. Picasso's femme assise, robe bleu, or seated woman in a blue dress. Uh, big money transfer, £35 million. It's gone for a painting of one of his former lovers, Dora Maar. You've got to ask her, where will femme assise fit in the uh, Chelsea lineup next Very season? Very difficult to say. I mean, can... Can it play in a 4-2-3-1 system alongside Van Gogh's Sunflowers, are we looking at kind of squad rotation? It's a big call to have Matic, Kante and the Picasso painting <laughs> vying for that holding midfielder spot. Also, an untitled piece by Jean-Michel Basquiat, the French artist. That's gone for £85 million. Wow. The first post-1980 artwork to smash the $100 million barrier. Shows if you're if you're old enough, if you're good enough, you're old enough as an artwork. <laughs> you know. Um, and it's, it's a Paul Pogba of paintings. That's right. You know, you're, you're investing for the future. That is going to. that's uh... It's going to do a job for a long time, that painting. <laughs> I can see it fitting in on the left-hand side of a big gallery wall, yeah. to be honest, the yeah. untitled. Uh, in a free roll, maybe next to a big old-fashioned target man up top, maybe a, you know, a great big Renoir, yeah. or, a, you know, you want to go old school, a, a Rubens, uh, you <laughs> a cu- couple of nifty little houses doing the mid- mid- mid-wall donkey work. It could be a could be a very successful signing.
1: Yeah, it sounds very much like the job I did at football on Tuesday. <laughs>
0: Sport news now and huge news niche for London as a sporting entity. The mascots have been unveiled for the 2017 World Athletics Championships to be held in August in the great city of London 2012. Uh, The (laughs) two mascots for the World Athletics and the uh, Para-Athletics Championships, Whizby the Bee and Hero the Hedgehog, following on in the proud footsteps of Mandeville and Wenlock, the 2012 mascots.
1: Yeah, yeah, those weird penis aliens. Yes,
0: well, they were modelled on fossilised mammoth sperms, in fact, (laughs) um, that were found on the site of the Olympic Stadium. (laughs) Let me just descriptively show you the two mascots on your audio screens at home, Buglers. Hero the Hedgehog, just imagine a 1980s soft rock star crossed with a hedgehog and then dressed like a 70-year-old retired weirdo on holiday in Florida. <laughs> Bingo, you're in. Perfect animal to be a mascot for a big sporting events, the uh, hedgehog, because it has a propensity to curl up into a tight ball and hide itself from the real world. <laughs> Sport is my hedgehog, which I think was Barack Obama's first book. Um, uh, Heroes, uh, Hero the Hedgehog's inspiration, his mother, although he does admit she could be a bit prickly, Thank you very much. Uh, Wisby, yes. the mascot for the World para Athletics Championships, also held in London this summer, a bee missing four and a half of its six legs, <laughs> um, uh, with the uh, one and a half it has uh, intact surgically attached to its abdomen rather than its thorax, the traditional place for bee legs. Yeah. Uh, by way of compensation, it does boast two human-style arms and have a running blade, which is a nice touch, but you would have thought of limited value to a creature best known for flying. <laughs> it also the worrying thing for me Nish is that Wisby does have a sting. Um I'm sure everyone is hoping it's not deployed during the course of the championships for obvious reasons. I mean kids don't want to see you know, a mascot getting a bit scared lashing out with its sting and then just slowly dying on the on the track. <laughs> Whisby's Likes, Pollen, Flowers, Hanging Out in Hives and Matriarchal Monarchies. <laughs> Whisby's Dislikes, Rolled Up Newspapers and Wasps. <laughs> too much guilt by association. <laughs> but I hope they enjoy the celebrity and stardom while it lasts, Nish, because sports fans' affections are fickle when it comes to mascots, as sure. Mandeville and Wenlock would testify. Uh, Mandeville, tragically, I mean, it's now almost five years on since his heyday, fell upon very hard times after London 2012, blew all his Olympic earnings on drink, drugs and cosmetic surgery to bleach the embarrassing blue pigmentation all over his crotch. Was uh, thrown out of the Brit Awards last year after turning up drunk and demanding to do a duet with the singer Pink, claiming the two had briefly been an item. Uh, Currently reported to be considering a career change Mandeville and retraining as a traffic cone whilst uh, wenlock sadly not much better spent eight months in prison after urinating through the railings at buckingham palace in 2014 while shouting <laughs> while shouting remember me lizzie we gigged together two years ago <laughs> uh somewhat recovered after going to a rehab camp with other obsolete mascots including zakumi the leopard from the 2010 football world cup in south africa who narrowly escaped death at the hands of poachers of course um, <laughs> Word is the pelt from a genuine World Cup mascot can fetch up to $9 million in China, where it's used uh, in traditional medicine as a treatment for ambivalence about pointless pursuits. I think the Conservatives are trying to re-legalise mascot hunting <laughs> as part yeah. of their manifesto commitments. Well, no-one wants to see another Ronnie the Raccoon from the 1980 Winter Olympics. <laughs> also in uh, rehab, uh, spent a bit of time with his hero, in fact, Naranjito, the 1982 World Cup orange, who's uh, hideously exploited... Uh, they're in the nineteen nineties by illegal quantro traders. It's terrible what happens to these creatures. <laughs> Your emails now, and this came in from Kelly on the subject, and this got my attention instantly, Nish. Actual academic research into bullshit. My ears are burning. <laughs> um, Kelly writes, Dear favorite bullshitters. A friend of mine sent me this article, aptly entitled, On the Reception and Detection of Pseudo-Profound Bullshit. (laughs) I'll give you
1: a quote. Is this a review of one of your Edinburgh shows?
0: (laughs) Because that's that's a dick move to send that to you. (laughs) I'll give you a quote from the best abstract I have ever read, writes Kelly. Although bullshit is common in everyday life and has attracted attention from philosophers right right from aristotle to the present day
1: yeah absolutely it's
0: reception brackets critical or ingenuous has not to our knowledge been subject to empirical investigation here we focus on pseudo profound bullshit <laughs> which consists of seemingly impressive assertions that are presented as true and meaningful but are acu- actually vacuous that's a dangerous road to go down oh god Kelly says, I wanted to share this with you all because, aside from being an interesting read, it has to hold the record for most uses of bullshit <laughs> in a peer-reviewed article. <laughs> a total, including the title, of 197 uses of the word bullshit. That is incredible. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of 197, bullshit. 197, of course, ironically, uh, Michael Vaughan's highest score in Test cricket, the uh, former England cricket captain. <laughs> Um, anyway, do send your emails in to hellobuglers at com. but it is great that bullshit is finally getting the academic recognition. Yeah, I feel
1: like that we should share that on some sort of, uh, on the website yeah. maybe. It does feel like it's finally the academic ju- justification this podcast has <laughs> demanded
0: and frankly deserved. Yeah, because I think bullshit, it's, it's had a got a bad rap in this age of fake news. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a much it's a much nobler pursuit. Yeah, it's a much nobler than fake pursuit. News.
1: It was it was fine when it was just you bullshitting, but when it was the president of the United <laughs> States, it starts to become a bit more of a problem. <laughs> Vote Zoltzman <laughs> Vote Zoltzman Vote 2020. The campaign starts now. I'm gunning for a position as VEEP. <laughs>
0: Uh, Nish, uh, great to have you back, thanks very so much uh, Nish will be back on in two weeks with uh, the live bugle Yeah, can't wait From uh, from Soho Theatre, which we will put out uh, highlights of As the regular bugle for that week uh, As well as the live bugle Also yeah. Soho Theatre, Political Animal on the 25th and 29th of May And the 3rd of June I'm doing another Saturdays for High show at the Underbelly on the 20th of June Nish, you got anything to plug? I've got a show at the Bush Theatre on the 3rd of June at 6.30pm.
1: It's a new hour of hot comedy <laughs> uh, from uh,
0: from a man who in no way has to Google himself to find out where his gigs are that week. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. I'll be back uh, next week. Until then, Buglers, goodbye. Bye.
1: Long Bugle today. Long Bugle. Long bugle. Um, And we also managed to get through that Comey curtains thing without at any point saying, pull yourself together.
0: (laughs) That is an opportunity, Mitch. I'll tag that on the end. Right at the very end. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas,